Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Fighting on Film, the podcast about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to cover it. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourers Bench. I'm Robbie of RA Military History. Welcome back, everybody, to Fighting on Film. This week we have a guest with us. Uh, we have Richard Fisher from the Vickers Machine Gun Collection and Research Association. Find him on YouTube. Uh, brilliant channel. Welcome, Richard. Hi, guys. So, Matt, what film are we doing this week? This week we are looking at The Way Ahead, a 1944 classic with David Niven, which follows a platoon of new recruits uh, through their call-up, through their training, to their first real deployment in North Africa. An adaptation from a film from 1943 called The New Lot, mm. um, which was produced by the British Army. Is it kine- kinetography unit or cinematography unit? Am I just showing that I haven't got an English? <laughs> it's just showing that the army can't spell cinematography. Yeah, but I always thought it was kinema- kinematography. Like I thought they was like... European. Well, yeah, well, it's kino, isn't it, with the K? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But there we go. The new lot. It's on IWM anyway, so people can go and check out the spelling for themselves. Yeah, and, and let us all know because that's three people baffled by it anyway. Ministry of Information film is basically designed to show people what the army's like, um, get across some vital info, uh, and it's. I think it was made just after they changed the conscription um, age limits and occupation uh, guides, yep. so they increased the the uh, the the age limit from uh, something like 30 up to 50, and then some of the other occupations that hadn't been uh, called on were called on. Married men as well. So mm. it's uh, it was like a, a broadening out of, you know, who in society could be called up. So it was important that they explained. Mm. It's definitely a rich stew, isn't it? It's a rich stew of people that join up. Mm. That, that, that makes sense then. You know, as to as to who the guys are, and, and to the fact they're you know coiling up the 
calling up the boilerman from the House of Commons and stuff like that. It's surely it's a, it's a random, keyword. Well, yeah, it's a random <laughs> selection. Worker, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I watched the new lot as well as uh, the way ahead because I'm putting in putting in the work for the pod. You know, so I don't know whether you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm not the weak link here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I started to. I right. started to. I had best intentions. You're the you're the guest, Rich. So it's, we'll let you off. But basically, uh, the new lot uh, it it has almost the same plot, but um, it's made on a much smaller budget. Mm. It's got much of the cast and production crew behind it, so it has Cal Reed, the director, uh, Peter Ustinov's involved. Um, really famous people, though. Like yeah, like big names. Yeah, big names. You got um, Bernard Miles, uh, Raymond mm. Huntley. As the as the key characters, and of course John Laurie, who's also in um, the way ahead. Private Fraser, for anyone who doesn't know the name, exactly. Private Fraser from Dad's Army. Yeah. So it follows uh, this group of well, it's more of a section than a platoon. It's a platoon in uh, in the way ahead, but in a new lot because because it's you know lower budget. Uh, it's it's just a, a couple of guys a section. It basically follows them from getting their call up papers all the way through to. Uh, you yeah. don't really see any action in the film because it's it's basically just John Laurie on the back of a truck. Yeah, in the new lot, it's just implied, isn't it? Yeah, they're on the, they're either yeah, on the is. retreat. I assume they're either on a retreat or they're on an advance. At the yeah, end, of that they're, one. they're on the back of a Bedford or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're in a QL having a riot. Um, because mm. who wouldn't in a fucking Bedford? Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's all, it was distributed by General Film Distribution, who later became J. Arthur Rank Company. So there's a nice little bit of film trivia there. And Niven was an executive producer. On The Way Ahead, yeah. How long before The Way Ahead was New Lot? About a year. Okay, mm. so Niven was still actually um, you know, in the army at that yeah. point. Yeah. Then when The New Lot was done or, or not long, or, or transitioning across into, into film roles. Interesting to see what experience they brought from that. Mm. Well, apparently, it's, I read somewhere that Churchill possibly approached them to remake it for a commercial like sense to sort of boost the feeling about conscription. I don't know how true that is. Yeah, I, I read that he was a major at that point. There seems to be so, a fair few rumours about production. I don't know how some how sort of mm. many are true or not. Um, you know, the one that I picked up is the fact that you know Houston offered refused to be commissioned, um, but was clearly writing good stuff at the time. Yeah. And the way they got him and Niven together was basically, you know, he became Niven's Batman. Uh, and you know they were serving alongside each other so that they could have the uh, you know the conversations that officers and men couldn't otherwise have. Mm. Uh, which, if it is, it shows the real sort of open-minded sort of approach to the structures of the time and, and making sure that they fitted uh, what actually sort of the greater good, what they wanted out of them as well. So yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic that they'd they'd have. Yeah, it really is. Um, I can imagine that. That sounds like a film in itself. Houston often. And Niven, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think that whole unit would be really interesting. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's really done any real significant research into it. I know of the, the unit that filmed them, the new lot, eventually ended up going out to Burma in the Far East, and they recorded um, like video letters to to bring home and and, and show people. Oh, it's the same guys. Yeah, it's the same unit. Ah. Not necessarily the same people, but the same unit. Mm. Yeah, they were really famous a couple of years ago weren't they? Because they, they they sort of started to broadcast them and release them. Loads of um, Northern units. Uh, Second Battalion Manchester's were featured quite a bit in it, I think, who were mm. 
machine gun battalion to second div. So that's why they, they were out there. So yeah, um, I think it was sort of Lancashire Fusiliers and, and some of those. That's that's really interesting actually to see that they went across to do that. Yeah. Should we should we get into the plot, gents? Yeah. <laughs> Try to. Yes. So it well, it kind of as Matt alluded to, it follows the exploits of a, of a bunch of new conscripts under David Niven um, as Lieutenant Jim Perry with the assistance of Doctor, the first Doctor Who himself, William Hartnell, and he plays Sergeant Ned Fletcher, probably the most absolute metal sergeant I've ever seen in any film. And it follows the new conscripts under their leadership until they see action. And that, that's pretty much the plot. I, I really like William Hartnell. In it. I think he's, you know, he, he, his character has a, has a bit of nuance to it, which is unusual. He doesn't like just march around shouting, I've never seen anything like it in all my life, you know? Mm. As, as they often do in those sort of like early Ministry of Information and early early films about the army. He just looks like a sergeant, doesn't he? Mm. When, when he sort of turns up into that first scene of, well, into the um, into the railway bar, you know, in full, in full sort of field service marching order. Gas cape and all, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's fully, you know, kitted up, looks like, you know, collar all the way up. He, he certainly, you know, he gives that impression to the rest of the guys there that haven't you know clearly haven't met him yet of okay this this is what we're in for you know this is the army and as as everybody should see it mm. um and you know he's in a public place he's portraying not only a sergeant as an actor but also as perhaps a sergeant that's going to an infantry training center or a primary training center should look um while he's traveling as well so i think it's you know it's a great character and he really does bring some great character to it he acts like he's like a visual representation of what they think the army is at that point, because none of them have been in. So they're all trying to work out, oh, what's it like? You know, oh, I read it in picture posts that you do this and that and the other. Yeah. And then they actually see a proper soldier. He looks like he's just walked out of Soldier of Fortune at Military Odyssey and just bought all the BEF gear. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, he just... He just but it fits like, properly. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it's all been tailored like, like really nice. And then obviously Niven, I mean, come on, who doesn't like David Niven? There's some guys that there that are instantly recognisable from films before and after. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of that most of that cast room in one of our aircraft is missing. Yeah, let's be, if if you know one of our aircraft is missing, you think, what are these? These guys aren't in the army; they're in the RAF. Um, you <laughs> sort of start to think, um, you know, where they were, and I, I, it, it's one of those things that you see British war films, and again, you start to think about. Um, you know where people have uh, you know come from and, and what they're bringing to things. These mm. people were being trained as servicemen, uh, either directly or indirectly, mm. through their their presence in movies portraying military people. And it's not like now where perhaps, perhaps they're doing a movie every five years and they need to reboot camp for it so that they're yeah. back in shape. They're just mm. in shape. They're in the mindset of I'm a serviceman doesn't matter what uniform I'm wearing, I'm going to act as a serviceman Mm. and I know what I'm doing. They're just reacting to it in a really brilliant way. To the point that when they're portraying civilians, um, you sort of go, okay, that's almost the proper acting for them. Um, They're they're having to rein it back in a bit. So some of those people are um, absolutely brilliant that we just see. There's some great names there too. Yeah, like John Laurie, you know, Private Fraser, our dad's army, he's in the new lot as well. He's yeah. one of the only few actors that come across. He is. Um, but his character, I think, changes a little bit in, in the new lot. I'm sorry, in the way ahead a little bit. Because he's he's in the new lot, he's played plays a sort of, you know, he's like the guy that you go to to lend an ear to. But in the new lot, he's a bit more sort of 
a bit more feeble, a little bit more timid in a way. He doesn't sort of come into the fore until later on in the movie. It's just interesting how little bits are kept. Like the lad, I forget the actor's name, who plays the the the, the, the more middle class man with his Batman. I forget the character's name. Raymond Huntley as as a private Davenport. Yeah. Davenport, that's it. And then you have you have Parsons, who's played by Hugh Burden. Yeah, so his his character's completely just brought over. There's just a name change, but he's not quite as posh. He's not in a ministry no, job. He's working yeah. in a department store, so yeah. it's a little bit more accessible, I think. And he's not writing. He's not writing letters to the Ministry of of no, he's not. of Labour to like get him out of the training. The audacity of the man! I thought that was well cheeky. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? It's like just serving the army, mate. Come on. It, it goes to show that sort of thought about you know how some people wanted to, how some people didn't. Some True. people saw it as an adventure. Some people thought their job was more important because they were you know working in the army navy stores or something like that mm. and selling stuff. You know, in mm. retail, they, they thought you know that they were. Um, you know, truly sort of um, you know, strict occupations. It's really interesting. My granddad was a, um, a farmer and couldn't join up until his younger brother was 18. So somebody oh, right. took over the, over the farm. Um, yeah, so he didn't join up. He, he didn't you know, uh, join until 1943. So it's really interesting you know, to sort of see some of this stuff coming out. You know, he would have been one of these later groups um, mm. as they went forward. He was in the yeah, he was in the LDV from May 1940. Uh, yet, you know, didn't join didn't join the army until later. So it's interesting to see just these different reactions. It gives people an opportunity to understand. You know, not everybody signed up. You know, in September 1939 mm. and, and went through everything. Not everybody was forced. Not everybody no, was yeah. unhappy when they were forced when mm. they were conscripted. Um, yeah, not true. everybody was happy when they volunteered. It just gives you a, a really mix of emotions to play with. It, I think it just shows that even the, the characters there, they do show the sort of different attitudes to it. You've got the lad who's just bought the Rolls-Royce car. Or mm. is it a Bentley or Rolls-Royce? <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. But he's like, you know, now he's worrying about selling it. You know, you've got Davenport who's like, well, I was, I shouldn't be here because I'm in a department store. I'm selling officers gear. You know, it's all that sort of, it does, they all have their own like personal acts to grind. I quite, I like that. And then it's quickly forgotten about like 30 minutes in. I quite like it. The only Weak, I wouldn't say weak link for me, but I, the lad who has that car, I just wish that he was played by Dickie Attenborough because <laughs> I think it, it just reminds me a lot of him. I don't know why. I just thought, should be Dickie Attenborough, really. I think he'd sell it a bit more. I don't know. But that's just me. Must have been busy. Well, he's not He's not there to choose from, is he? He's busy no. doing something else. Yeah, he was working for the, he was working for the Royal, Royal, uh, Royal Air Force film unit at the time. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. One one of the um, it's interesting the things about uh, the cast change from a new lot to the way ahead. I think um, the new lot has Bernard Miles as Ted, who's quite a likable character, mm. um, but he's been transferred over to uh, the way ahead. Is that the painter or the bricklayer? Uh, yeah, he's the bricklayer. Yeah, oh, I like him. Yeah, it's it's kind of a stereotype, but it, you know, he says at one point, "I don't want to win the war. I want to do bricklaying." Yeah, it's just it's very you know very straight straight ahead sort of like mindset he has and you know he's done Britlane since he was 14 he wants to do Britlane in the army and then his company commander basically says well we've we've got enough we've got more than enough Britlays in the army perhaps you'd be better on a brain that's an interesting piece to pick up on in terms of if you think about the character the, the vast array of characters that come together they wouldn't all end up in the infantry yeah no. y- y- your man that works in the department store 
is going to end up in service corps somewhere you know it, it, it the um the boilerman from the house of commons is going to end up you know royal engineers or you know another unit that yeah. best suits his um best suits his experience you know the art you know we and i suppose that is a sort of weak thing in the plot really a little bit um that they do all end up in this infantry unit whereas actually it may not be what they're best suited to um and it makes us again it reinforces the point that infantry is everything and actually we know full well from you know the numbers and the studies that infantry is you know just yeah a fraction of everything um on so many occasions um yes they're the pointy end but the, they are literally you know the point they're not the rest of the spear mm. interesting you should say that because i think the new lot handles that a lot better in that it shows raymond huntley's character barrington as being a single operator it shows uh, only two it's i think it's john laurie and perhaps uh wallace uh philip godfrey's character in in uh in a new lot as actual infantrymen on the back of a truck talking about a photograph of the rest of the the, the guys that were in training so mm. new lot is, a, is a lot more realistic in that it shows that they went off and did different things okay and they're, like, they're wondering wonder what they're up to now it doesn't matter we're yeah. all part of this yeah. giant sort of yeah. machine that is going to crush fascism couple of other chaps in it for me from cast members that are great i mentioned stanley holloway mm-hmm. you know he's sort of for me jumps out as ealing comedy you know um mm. these is a brilliant character actor you know in this is this moanly moany curmudgeonly you know, chap that is sort of the it he he's the sort of gauge of of the happiness in the platoon isn't he when yeah. when he when he's happy or yeah you know he when he's happy the platoon is happy. Mm. Um, everybody's come round to it. Everybody's still got their gripes, but overall, he's the he's the sort of arc of happiness. I like um, how he, he makes himself scarce when they're when they're having their tea in in that house, yeah. and then the woman's like, "Oh, they've got this beastly officer," and he's like, he just makes himself sharpish, you know. He's like, "Oh fuck!" He just walks like, "We're gonna get here." I really like that. It's really funny. And then she's like, "But then he owns up, doesn't he?" he yeah, he, he does. Towers are downstairs. In. Oh gosh, that was him. But he has the funniest lines for me, like when she he's trying to fix the boiler for her and she's yeah. like, well, I'll just do this. And he's like, Oh, we well, could do that. You know, like I'll have to go and face Niven now. I like it. It's funny. He's got a great line on the train where they're talking about what they all do. And he says, he's boiler man at the houses of parliament. And he says, uh, the only good one that ever got into parliament was Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes. Yeah. Like, yeah I love it. Yeah. Great. That's amazing. And he moans uh, about how long. Still such a relevant film to this day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come on, yeah. <laughs> and, and he ends up going into Titfield Thunderbolt. You know, that's where I know him from. Titfield yeah, of Thunderbolt course. Yeah, is, yeah. Um, uh, is the steamroller. I've seen driver. that in years. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly fighting on film, but yeah, great film, all the same. Uh, and then, and then the other, the other sort of cast member for me that leaps out is Leo Gen. I don't know if it's Jen or yeah, Gen. Leo Gen. Captain Edwards, yeah. who's who's then your narrator for theirs is the glory. Mm, yeah, um, yes. and you know, a huge character ends up as sort of half colonel uh, in the Royal Artillery. Um, Lieutenant Colonel in the Royal Artillery, an mm. assistant prosecutor at ba- for the Balson concentration camp trial. Wow. You think two wow. years ago, mate, you were in a film um, as, as a training captain, yeah. and now you are doing, you know, you are prosecuting uh you know, Balson mm. concentration camp trial. And you think, Amazing. wow, okay. For for me, you know, that sort of just tells you the um, you know, not only the the story arc and everything, but 
the individuals that are behind it are dipping mm. in and out of these things. Mm. You know, Niven goes out of this and goes back into serving as an officer. Um, you know, Leo Gens there, Captain Edwards comes yeah. back out of it serving as an officer. And yeah, it's it it's a really interesting sort of film um that tells you as much about the actors as it does about the original story as well. I got I've got a great anecdote about Niven if when you want it. Please tell us now. I'm intrigued about how some of these guys bring their experience to this because clearly mm. you know they're older some of some of them are serving at the same time and stuff like that so i'd have to go through the list of cast properly to see who was serving but you know they're serving playing soldiers be, having been civilian so they're bringing a lot of their own experience to it you know there's like it's about as original method as you can get without having to think about it mm. but niven um niven was not a natural with the army you know he, he joined up in the early 30s um, stayed in for a few years and when I was doing the small arms school call research it was a great there's a there's a picture on the wall in the um, weapons collection at Warminster and it's the course photo of Netheraven with Niven in it oh wow uh, because he, he so he was there in where is it it's 6th of June to 4th of August 1933 and you've got Lieutenant Niven uh, he's not rifle brigade at this point I don't think he's on the machine gun course so when he says towards the end of the film um, go and get that Vickers. He really knows what he's on about. It's a little bit long-winded, so forgive me for it. But the, the, the caption on the um, on the course photo is is really telling, perhaps, of his character. You know, it starts while well, describing a young officer's career. It's perhaps worth recalling the occasion when the late David Niven, as a young officer, attended a machine gun course on Salisbury Plain. During the course, he and some of his friends on the course were on the rampage one night in the local pubs and arrived back at the officer's mess, rather the worse for wear. Then knowing the next day's programme was to include a demonstration of firing along fixed lines and also knowing that the area to be used made the instructors reliant upon a particular lone bush as a reference point, they decided to play a small trick. The following day, all the student officers were formed in a half circle around the Lewis gun to be used in the demonstration. It's probably a Vickers, not a Lewis, but we'll forgive them a little bit. Um, and after the opening narrative, the quartermaster sergeant instructor in charge relayed a thunderous fire order to the sergeant on the gun the range of the target being estimated on the distance between the firing point and the lone bush. Within seconds, a hail of rounds were on their way towards the target. Unfortunately, however, contrary to the expectations of the instructors, the rounds fell some 200 metres short, something which had never happened before when the same south spot had been used, which was often. There then followed much head scratching and checking of sights and refiring, but all to no avail. The round simply would not land on target. Meanwhile, in the rear of the group of officers, certain young gentlemen, including Niven, were close to bursting as they recalled the previous evening when they dug up the lone bush and replanted it 200 metres farther from the firing point. <laughs> and, he, and he very shortly afterwards left the army. Um, so, you know, he, he comes out and goes into to filmmaking, not to rejoin until the Second World War. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a long anecdote, but it's just one of those things that, you know, when when the war comes along, he you know he genuinely does you know, sign up again and, and and get commissioned again and sort of re-enter. And uh, yeah, but when sort of the opportunity to come go back into filmmaking for the army, he must have brought all this experience of you know having done some of this training himself, having worked with some you know some instructors that you know, weren't likable and things like that. So yeah, really interesting to understand sort of what he would have brought to it. It portrays the army in a in a different way than the army is sometimes portrayed in, like British armies portrayed in war films because it's shown from 
civilian's point of view, mm. doesn't matter what job you are, doesn't matter what social class you've come from, you can relate to someone in the movie. And I think that's, for me, why it's still is relevant film when we're studying the Second World War and studying social history from that time. It's interesting that the film has such a negative view towards the army, especially at the beginning, mm. uh, which is obviously sort of a psycho, um, uh, sort of like a psychological um, tool in that it's kind of like reverse psychology in that, you know, um, the, they're portraying the army and the dread that the men have for the army. And yet they eventually come round to understanding why they've been called up uh, and finding that the army isn't probably as bad as they suspected or thought, mm. whether that was the true or not. You know, uh, mileage may vary on that one and everyone's experience was different probably. Um, but apparently the film was uh, made in some sort of uh, conjunction with the army's uh, uh, psychiatry directorate. Okay. Um, and they were heavy behind this push to get that sort of element where they show a realistic reluctance from the men to, to being conscripted in order to, to give it weight to the viewer. So they accept the fact that these men probably are, you know, portraying real characters, you know, because they immediately hate um, Sergeant Fletcher, don't they? They're like, he's picking on us because of the cafe, mm. but in sit, but in unbeknown to them, he actually says to, to um, Lieutenant Perry, Oh no, I think they're going to make really good soldiers. Mm. I think some of them might actually be NCOs. And then we see at the end of the film, you know, one of the lads is a, is a corporal. The actual arcing story is a really complete one as well. And I think that comes through from Carol Reed's, I mean, brilliant direction by Carol Reed. And he later went on to make Oliver and won, and won an Academy Awards as well. So you not only got this great cast, you've got this great director who makes a really, really solid movie on top of it. And he's had a dry run. Yeah. With, um, with New Lot. Mm. So he knows the story. He knows what he's trying to get across. Mm. Um, interestingly, one of my favorite scenes in the new lot is the scene where they're on the train to the um, to the ITC. They encounter a Czechoslovakian soldier. He's a sort of narrative tool to get them into the mindset that they are part of something much bigger. Mm. So he talks about, I went to France, France collapsed, so I came to England. If England collapses, Europe collapses. Um, you know, and we're all small cogs in this million strong mm. you know, force against fascism. That's missing from the way ahead. You know, the, mm. the, the way ahead is so, although, as you said, you know, it sort of jumps from section to platoon level uh, in the way ahead. It's still platoon centric, you know, even to the point of when the, the only time you really see lots of other people are on exercise mm. when there's lots of carriers banging about and, and things like that, which is awesome. Um, but then right at the end, when everybody joins them in, in that sort of final march of the battle scene. Um, and, you know, other than that, it's so centric on those, those characters in the platoon. I think it would have probably been quite useful to, to throw it out there, but, but also possibly a you know it, possibly a storyline that then gets lost. I, I don't know, but it's really interesting to um, to know that was in was in the new lot actually, and then cut for or that idea not used in the way ahead. Yeah, well, the way ahead's already just under two hours long, so perhaps it yeah, was an element true. they might have used but then cut. Mm. There's also another interesting bit in the new lot where uh, they're on the back of a wagon at the train station, about to head to the training camp. It's a lift. Climbs up on on the back, hands him hands him his P fourteen. By the I was way, just about to say that, yeah. <laughs> um, into the back of a truck. Don't know whether it was a Bedford Robbie, but anyway, gets in the truck. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, he says, uh, he, they basically ask him, what's it like being in the army? And it turns out he's just been the glass house. So he's just been to military prison for whatever he's done. I can't remember what he'd, he'd done. But he basically, he's not portraying like the most positive light on the army. Um, but it's very real. You know, he's been, he's been in the glass house, but he's been in for three years. Um, so he's, you know, he's an old sweat at that point. By 43, he's probably been in since, I don't know, before Dunkirk, just after Dunkirk. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of interesting elements that don't pass over into uh, the way ahead. No. And he, even like Ustinov's character in the in the new lot where he's afraid of a Bren gun, like that doesn't get in either. Mm. You know, they're all, they're all seen as taking to sort of weaponry quite easily. So maybe that's cut out because it's for the public sort of thing where... They, they don't want people viewing it to go like, oh, that, that guy's scared of a brain gun. I'm going to be scared of a brain gun as well. Like, what the what the hell's that contraption? Sort yeah, of well, it's it's different audiences completely, isn't it? Because the, the new lot is aimed at soldiers. Yeah. It's, a, it's a film that was shown only to soldiers. So yeah. if that's what you're watching when you get to your, your, um, your training centre or whatever, and you see someone's af- afraid of firing a brain but can overcome it, then that's good. You know, so they, they can... They can uh, associate with that and and understand that you can overcome these things. Mm. But if you're showing that in a film for public consumption, they might take it in a different way. They might say, "Oh, well, the army's basically, you know, it's, it's propaganda anyway." So you don't want to mm. be like, you know, "Oh, our soldiers don't actually want to fight with our guns." You actually want to say, "Like, no, nah, these lads are up for it at any to- at any time," you know. So that it's it's a very interesting sort of thing from a, a socio propaganda sort of level as well mm. i think a very interesting movie um so yeah so the plot the plot just ends up with them in well i thought it was libya and uh someone else, someone thought it was egypt i don't know where they bloody ended up tunisia i think tunisia. my view my view is tunisia right. so um yeah let, i think go. it's algeria personally oh my god oh. <laughs> so north africa yeah it's 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 french north africa we can all agree on that it's french north africa agreed yeah and it's 943 um, I think is the other is yes. the other thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they're they're going to be involved in Operation Torch because it. it's described as a joint American uh, British landing yeah. in French controlled North Africa. But they're obviously it. We have that great set piece scene in the middle of the film where the the uh, the troop ship is torpedoed, and then they return back to Gibraltar because they lose all their carriers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they lose all their carriers, scout cars, all their kit, all even lose even lose their rifles. And yeah. they talk um, about in that that they're split up from the rest of the battalion, and are they yeah. going to wait? And I, I, yeah, that certainly it's really interesting because that is um, you know, reminiscent of like forty three recce going across to Normandy as part of Operation mm. Overlord. You know, well, what, days after, you know, they lose their um, vehicles and, and stuff like that. So mm. it's really sort of relatable, and, and it's really quite realistic. And you know, it's a, it's a super scene, and there's some super kit that's in there. They're gutted on that they've lost their kit and they're gutted that they're not with their battalion. And I think yeah. that shows some of the sort of the unit cohesion piece as well. Mm. Well, interestingly, my granddad went out to Singapore in uh, in 40, 41 mm. and um, he was with 18th Battalion Reconnaissance Corps. Mm-hmm. So he was carrier trained. He was on carriers. Yeah. But they, they didn't have carriers when he got out there. Amazing. So he found himself on foot, just basically his, his standard infantry. So yeah, so I I saw the parallels in that, but mm-hmm. obviously Niven and the lads were lucky enough to to get some carriers and before they before they got sent back to North Africa. 
It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So I've got a few, and, and everybody will sort of just expect me to jump to Vickers MGs, and, and they'd be right. Um, Are there Vickers in this movie? Uh, there's, there's, I hadn't noticed the Brens, the characters, the other things um, <laughs> that you keep talking about. You know, bizarre. Um, but no, so uh, it's not just Vickers, though. So I, I, I've got a little, little list of them because they're, they're great. Yeah, mm. I think in terms of Ali as an individual, you know, Niven rocking around North Africa, whichever country he's in, um, in you know, khaki drill shirt, you know, battle dress trousers, but just wearing his 37 pattern belt with his revolver holster and the ammunition pouch you know, above it, and, and binoculars around his neck, just sort of, it's one of those light roll officers, you know, light infantry, Duke of Clendon's you know, dogs. Mm. Um, it's it, there, and it's just one of those things that you just go, look, this guy actually does know what he's doing he looks like all of those photos of your know, vehicle born motorized infantry lorried infantry at the time you know it, it he just stands out as that mm-hmm. um for me and and you know so as an individual he he's the ali guy um the other you know other soldiers are doing the same actually they look like they're used to the kit they're wearing it properly mm-hmm. um yeah. i can't think anybody stood out as like oh no you know like you and you get that in modern films don't you you, mm-hmm. you always you get do. somebody that stood out and you go oh no you've put your braces on backwards or you know, how have you got that ammo pouch upside down um you know just sort of your stuff comes out quicker is it um you know things like that there's none of that this is all serious stuff as well it's rare to see British infantry in their sort of summer um, fighting like uniform with their woolly pullies in their, you know, their, their, their shirts underneath. So it's nice to see British soldiers in what they should actually be wearing in the desert. Nobody can complain that these guys have got the wrong build. Nobody can say that these guys aren't what a British soldier of World War II looks like, Second World War. Um, you know, they, they are. You know, they, mm. these guys are the, are the shape that battle dress was made to fit. They, yeah. you know, they haven't lowered the waistbands and extended everything to hide their midriff. You know, they're, they're wearing pouches in the right place. Yeah, it's just perfect from that perspective. So, you know, Ali for me is that sort of that look. Yeah. Um, in terms of Ali actions, though, I will I will turn around and say that the point at which Niven does say, go and get that Vickers and Holloway, it, you know, so um, Stanley Holloway, private brewer, goes and picks it up with the tripod and runs across the street with, um, I can't remember who's, who's his number two, but you know, is it John Laurie? Is it? Um, yes, it is, I think. Yeah. Luke, yeah. So, you know, it, it's his number two, just like carrying the ammunition box. It's like yeah, number two's best day. And how much does, does gun and tripod weigh, Rich? Gun and tripod weighs 90 pounds. So 90 pounds. 40 kilo. Um, yeah, the... the, the you can still, I'll plug my video of picking it up and firing it from the hip because, you know, I know how much that weighs without the water in it. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly didn't have much water in it though, did it? Because it goes dry. I, I know, um, you know Robbie will probably want to talk about trucks, but you see, seeing the trucks with brain guns on top and things like that is yeah. Yeah. You know, Ali from a vehicle perspective. There's some lovely like uh, column stuff you know there's brilliant yeah on the exercises and and that column coming into the the north african village yeah you know you got the you got the outriders on their motorcycles and then you've got scout cars and then you've got all all the trucks it's just really it's what you expect isn't it Mm. but you never see it in films because the budget isn't there the other thing that would have been out in the cinemas at this time i think is desert victory 
So, you know, it's that sort of documentary film that is, you know, is an IWM film now, but Desert Victory is is documenting that North Africa um, victory. So either it would have been out now or or just after. Yeah, I think think The Way Ahead came out in June 44. Some people say it came out on the 6th. Some people say it came out on the 9th. I'm not right. Oh sure. well, okay. I, I got to say, I hadn't realised the, the the closeness of that. To, um, you know, the only date people know about it in World War Two. Um, it's <laughs> they mustn't have known that, but it comes out at a really important time. So that's another thing. Yeah, it's, um, it's very well, true. Well, thank goodness Mark Clark got into Rome before this came out. <laughs> um, yeah. So Desert Victory came out in '43, actually. Yeah. So um, yeah, they, they they'd have been able to see that and learn from that and uh, but that's the documentary you know Mm. uh, and this is then that sort of i suppose that dramatization of of some of that that same action oh yeah so matt what's your tally this week uh i've got a couple i think i think for me it's the six pounder action we get when the germans break through for the first time and they and they they attack the prepared positions that the the dogs are in a six pounder engages what looks like two or three Yep. ostensibly German tanks with supporting infantry. The section's laying down uh, small arms fire, but it's the six-pounder that takes out the uh, the Valentine tank. I think it's a Valentine yeah, it's anyway. It's a Valentine. That is, um, <laughs> that is portraying uh, whatever the Germans were using in the area. Panzer three, probably? Panzer three. Probably a Panzer three, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But yeah, so it's cool to see a six-pounder go up against a valentine. Um, Smashes it to bits. <laughs> it... <laughs> And then it cuts pretty quickly in that scene to uh, an on fire, a long barreled Panzer III. Yeah. So it's got the, um, is it 70, 72, 76? I don't know what the, I don't know what the millimeter of gun is, but it's the longer, it's not the short howitzer no. bearing. I'm not a Panzer expert, I'll, bet, I'll be honest. I'll um, but it's definitely a Panzer III. So that's pretty interesting. Mm. And then obviously later in the, in the last set piece, we got, we've got uh, David Niven and is it, is it 
Private Parsons, who's his number two. Anyway, so the, there's another member of the platoon with David Niven on, on the on the six pounder opening up on mm. a German mortar position behind a wall. Yeah. Um, which which is really interesting in that there's all this kit that's just been left in this village. So there's a Vickers just sat pristine. And then there's a there's a six pounder with a couple of rounds just there. But it's a really nice sequence. You know, they close up the the um the, the trail on the gun, mm-hmm. they drag it over to the position they want it at, they lay it out, Niven misses his first shot, relays the gun. It was a ranger. Mm. It was a ranging shot from Niven. That's that's true. That's true. We'll give it we'll, we'll give him that. Yeah. Um <laughs> he realized it was solid shot, not a not um yeah, it was AP, not HE. The second round, thankfully, knocks out the wall and probably peppers the, the German mortar crew with uh, some North African debris. And then um, just as they run off, you can see that they've not locked the uh, the traverse of the gun because the gun starts to, to sort of like swing, <laughs> which is which is a nice little extra thing to notice. But yeah, so the, the, the six pounder stuff was really nice to see because how often do you see... No six pounder in action in a, in a war movie is just one of those guns that you don't see and obviously it's the at that point in the war it's the key it's the new bit of kit isn't it it is it's brand new at that point replace the two pounder it's it's the the key heavy anti-tank weapon of the of the battalion yeah um and then the other other stuff which is cool was there's two distinct types of thompson m1928a1 in the very first training sequence so mm-hmm. they're firing over their heads while they're doing an assault course. And you, you can see one guy has the the the, the, the classic forward Tommy gun um, foregrip. And then the second time you see a Thompson, it has the um the, the more standard forend where it's just a just a, a a straight piece of wooden furniture. So that's that's a nice little thing. Is that to the see. same guy, Matt? Is that is, it looks is, like him, but yeah, it, it's it, not, yeah. It definitely looks like him. There's certainly some continuity stuff because there's actually two vicars. Yeah, you, there is. You, I wasn't going to say that because yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> but there's uh, yeah, there's the one that they do the close up of. Look, there's a vicar's machine gun, nothing mm-hmm. around it. And then there's the one that, that you know, gets picked up and taken into the bath. And what's the differences between those, Rich? Uh, I can't remember now. I think one of them's got a straight jacket. One of them's got a rib jacket. That's it. Of course I can remember. Um, they're imprinted on my mind. Yes, one's <laughs> fluted, one isn't. I think one's also got um, the dioxide bracket and the other hasn't. So that's Rich one. had his magnifying glass out of the screen like, come on. That's what the Zoom function's for, isn't it? So that leads us to the most important aspect of this week's Ali Tally. What, what have you picked out, Rob? It's going to be all Bedford. Well, I've got... A couple. My first one will be it's a it's a David Nivenism um, where he's trying to get the um, the lads or the, the platoon to help him out with a, a show, and mm-hmm. they're not forthcoming. By th- that point in the movie, they're not friends with him yet. Um, they don't they don't see eye to eye, and he uh, he's telling one of the other officers about the um, that like the show, and he goes, oh well, we've got um, we've got Cook Sergeant Trubshaw who's going to do some bird noises for us. And that's a that's a little reference to one of Niven's good friends, um, Trubshaw, and his name appears in every single film that Niven was in. No way, I never knew that. Really? Yeah, it's, it's one of the things he. Um, wow. He 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 says like it's a, it's one of his mates who he he was an, also another actor, and they were mm. really good friends. So when Niven made it big, he kept mentioning him in films, and there, there's movies with Trubshaw in. So he he's always in a Niven film, which is really cool. I like that. I was watching it and I was like Trubshaw. 
you mentioned Trubshaw. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> massive Niven fan. Um, and then my second, just the amount of Bedfords that are on the show. I couldn't not mention it this week. So I timestamped it. Um, 15 minutes and 51 seconds, the lads turn up in a Bedford OL. Oh, sorry, OY, which is really nice to see. And then there's QLs in it. There's MWDs um, with the like the, the tarpaul, the, the, hood, the hood frame, the hood frame. That's it, yeah. And then you know they got Brens on them and stuff like that. It's just you know wall to wall Bedfords really. And then the, you know you've got carriers, Dame Ladingos, um, Co- Covenanta. Is it Covenanta tanks? Yeah, Covenanta. Yeah. Covenanters. Yeah, want to go banging past at one point, aren't they? Yeah, that's probably the most use a Covenanta ever got. That yeah. actually, but they look great though, don't they? They, yeah, they look. Do. They're a very cool looking tank. I mean that turrets. Pretty cool. Possibly stand-ins for Crusaders, maybe. I don't know which div got them, but there was there was a there was a, a significant armored uh, formation that was completely yeah. or more or less uh, equipped with Covenant. Was it the first Canadian armored div or something like that? Something I can't remember. They only ended up in the UK anyway, didn't they? So yeah, so that scene where yeah they never left. They never they were only used for training. That scene where they bang past them on exercise is still. Yeah, you know, as far as it's still spot on. The only thing that isn't spot on so mm-hmm. far is Valentine's pretending to be German, yeah. um, which may have been captured earlier on in the conflict. I was about to say they could have been captured. We captured yeah. Valentine's, yeah. Oh, I mind God, I know Valentine's will be yours against Niven. <laughs> the Bedfords are the true, true stars of this yeah, film. Got, yeah, there's nothing to do with David Niven, John Laurie, etc. Um, it, it's it's the Bedfords. I've got, I've got one more detail. That possibly Ali, you know, it, it, it's whether it is or not is up to you. It's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Or this Ali tally. Ali is in the eye of the beholder. It's the helmet flashes. It looks like a fourth div um, p- patch on its side. You know, as to what the you know diamond rather than uh, rather than square, but um, and probably a bit coloured in with pen or something. Yeah. But it appears everywhere. It is that proper divisional flash to to maintain unit cohesion to show actually we're bigger, we're part of a division, not just a battalion. Blah blah blah. But it's on the helmets and everything. Yeah, it's nice attention to detail. It's just building that character um, at so many different levels. Interesting enough, uh, talking about the flashes. Um, a listener um, at Calais from on Twitter, he said in the 80s he found one of the divisional flashes, but when he told the guy what it was, he wouldn't let him buy it. Somewhere they're floating around still. Great little tale there from a listener. The shoulder titles appear now and again. Um, Duke of Glendon's uh, shoulder titles. Oh, do they? The only thing that I couldn't actually find um, an image of was the cat badge. I can't see what <laughs> it's made up out of. You would think they would give a little... A little closer. They mentioned Talavera's battle honor, yeah. so there, there must be there must be like a, I don't know, a lion perhaps. No, I seem to recall it's like the centre out of a rifle brigade or King's Royal Rifle Corps cap badge that um, mm. you know cross Maltese cross style, mm. uh, and then there's a larger sort of um, scroll underneath it uh, for from the likes of. Um, I was trying to think now, but you know, East Yorkshire Regiment or something like that, you know, similar sort of thing to that. And mm-hmm. clearly it, it wouldn't necessarily have been cast at the time, but made up from a couple of other mm. judges, perhaps. I mean, the reason they did it was because they didn't want to give um, precedence to any set division or set unit. So it was just meant to be about the army. So that's why they made up a division. Um, yeah. The- that's why we have the you know Loamshire regiment, isn't it? You know, the Loamshire's one of those, you know, <laughs> in the books, in the manuals is is the fictional division and uh, a fictional regiment. And then it's a bit like King's Own Fusiliers from Soldier Soldier. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's just everybody, isn't it? 
So fave scenes, gentlemen, I think that brings us on to. Again, I think we have to defer to Rich as our guest. The fave scene for me is not one of those battle scenes or anything like that. It's in that, and I've mentioned it, it's in the railway bar. For me, it typifies the chaos of lots of people moving through uh, railway and wartime. You know, we know the importance of the railways. We know that, you know, sort of the, the transport networks are so congested and things like that. And people aren't moving by road in the same way. Railways are important. It gives us a history of the railway. It gives us all of the exposition on the on the men. Um, it gives us a little bit of you know, wartime problems, um, you know, so many people, you know, Niven trying to get his cigarettes, things like that. And Gasp on that train. And <laughs> <laughs> um, go play, please. Yeah, the Beck, the former travel agent or, or whatever he is, uh, talks about cancelled services and stuff. Yep. Yeah. All of that. It's just, for me, they're almost the, they're the linchpins between the military scenes. Mm. Um, you know, they, they tie in everything and it just mm. always brings us back to normality again, doesn't it? So e- even if you are at home watching this or at the cinema, you know, nobody's at home streaming this in 1944. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're all down the pub. Uh, the, you know, the, if, the, if they're in the cinema watching this, they can relate to it because they've been through a train station. Sure. Um, they know some, some of these shortages, even if they've got nobody in the forces, they can relate to it. So I, I absolutely love those scenes. Mm, yeah, great i think it, it, what you said about the connecting scenes as well that's that could be a conscious choice from carol reed using it as a the last bastion of like civilian life possibly and um, before they go to join the military like a, as you say like yeah. a sort of you know like a metaphor for leaving home behind and going to a an army training camp possibly but we mm. see we see it again as touch points don't we you know yeah. through the film a couple of times you know so it's sort of that touch point back to normality in a way yeah maybe i think even niven's wife says uh, how many times have we been on this platform in the last three years so matt your favorite scene i've got a couple i think uh to choose one that isn't a, uh, one of the set pieces i think my favorite scenes are um the two chelsea pensioners the old soldiers at chelsea hospital are oh, so funny aren't they who open and close the film and have some in, uh, little interjections throughout it's two old soldiers from the the dogs, the Duke of Glendons, and they are unhappy with the way the war is being fought because they would do a better job. Because in their day, uh, men were harder and they got stuff done. Who would want to, you know, face a, a horde of spears when you know you can face just a panzer? You know, it's, yeah, it's, so, yeah. It's it, I would much rather face a panzer than a horde of spears. Sort of, mm. sort of deal. Mm. And there's a great line where one of them says. How did you, we should have just formed square and let them go round us. In Greece, yeah, we should have just formed squares. Yeah, and at Dunkirk, he says they should have dug trenches, let them come through, and then got them from behind. Yeah, <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's, and and one of one of the old chaps who's so one of the old chaps um, talks about they must have bayonets now, the likes of which we could never imagine, and great yeah. long bayonets. So he's he's thinking that military progress is you know, a longer bayonet. He asks the lad, doesn't he? Like, what, mm. what are you in? And he goes, I'm a paratrooper. Paras are like, you know, proper hard lads. Yeah. And um, and he goes, oh, an umbrella dangler. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. all right, calm down. <laughs> you know, you don't even know what paratroopers are, but you hate them because you don't know what they are. <laughs> There's some but, great stuff in there that, I mean, because you've got all that sort of, that's how, you know, you see old soldiers reflect. It was better in my day. We all yeah. reflect don't we yeah. yeah it was better when i was in there superb and it's it's got some really handy exposition where they're doing that training sequence the montage oh yeah 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 
everything that's been shown in the montage is to contrast with what he's saying. So it's, mm. you know, we used to march 25 miles a day and it shows them, you know, on a, on a, on a route march. Um, yeah. They wouldn't want to like damage their fancy new battle suits. You know, he's talking about like battle dress. Just the narrative of how much easier they have it than they had it in their day. Mm. Just <laughs> It's just a nice sort I, of I, exposition touch. I had to look one of those guys up because I thought, you know, one of those guys looked made up to be a bit older, but the other guy mm. is clearly old yeah and i looked at a guy called bromley davenport born in 1867 wow. and that was his that was his last film appearance and he died the following year oh my gosh but you know so 1867 so when he's genuinely reflecting on life it's just amazing to think yeah. he could have he could have been in the zulu campaign that he mentioned <laughs> yeah. One of them's wearing a Kurdish star or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it? yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, it's just amazing that the fact that there's this actor from who was born in 1867 in a film that we're now watching and talking about, you know, in 2021. It's just, it's just remarkable. It's almost surreal. It's weird, isn't it? When you think about it in, yeah, the, in yeah. those terms. Because he, he mugs off his mate, yeah. didn't he, when he's talking about like one of the actions. And he's like, oh, I think you might be a bit, bit too young to remember that but he's clearly yeah. talking to the older guy and you're like hang on a minute what, what are you talking yeah. about you know i love it yeah so that that's one of my favorite elements of the film one of my favorite scenes um from uh the new lot is the the train scene i mentioned earlier with the czechoslovakian soldier that's mm. a really interesting piece of sort of cinematic uh exposition yeah and then also in that film there's a really interesting part at the end it's sort of the climax of the film it's the only only real action in the new lot is the the lads have finished training and they go to the cinema to sort of celebrate um and they watch a war movie yeah and ted um i think it's ben of miles uh his character says we should go and see this film it, it was good when i saw it in london obviously before he you know went to training so they go and see this film and it's full of sort of like ludicrous sort of um overacting. Overacting and, and oh that's right. I did stupid, see that clip. Yeah. And stupid military sort of like decisions. Like he's stood on a on a on a on a crest. He sort of like struggles to get over some barbed wire. Yeah. Um he's he's firing his revolver in like the most arcane manner with his wrist at 90 degrees. It's just ridiculous. And they're all sort of like catcalling and shouting out all the stuff he's doing it wrong. It's like, you go under it, not over it. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was a really interesting thing you, that you you just, you never see that sort of sort of technique of mm. people ridiculing a film, a film within a film, yeah. which is really interesting. Because he gets up at the end and goes, oh, it was actually good. I thought it was good, but it's not now. Exactly. So he's learnt that it's... Like, That's a made up film, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's made up. <laughs> I think it was shot for the new lot. Right, okay. And it's just, it's just for them to go and sort of like have yeah. a little bit of a climax without doing a full set piece. Was it, was it Melodrama VC? Is that the name Something of the film? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and he gets shot and he falls and he clutches his chest and then he, yeah. at the end, it, it, the, the film within a film ends with them pinning a VC onto him. But his chest, yeah. yeah. He's done it. <laughs> My gosh, he's done it. Yeah, and he's got like a brigadier going, oh, his father would be so proud. His father would be so proud of him now. It's so bad. It really is. And the, the pillbox explodes with the force <laughs> of a nuclear explosion after throwing <laughs> yeah. like one Mills bomb at it. Um, he's, got what, he's got one of those experimental Mills bombs, isesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. No, I love it. Brilliant. It's, it's one you can have a fight in on film, like episode 272 is 
Yeah, when we finally run out of things, we'll start doing films within films. Yeah. <laughs> legitimise, just trying to legitimise it. We're seeing a war film, it counts. Um... <laughs> that brings us to you, Robbie. What, what's your favourite scene this week? So, as you, I've got a couple. Um, I, um, I like the bit at the start where the old TA instructor is talking to him about the Lewis gun. Quite like that. This is the old Lewis. This is the 1914 pattern. We'll get the we'll get the seventeen pattern that's a little bit better. I used it in eighteen, it was great, sort of thing. There's no there's no better gun for dealing with enemy aircraft. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. He's, I think, you know, just point it to the sky and give him a burst. And I just That's really interesting because at the time you've got to think Lewis guns were the anti aircraft like machine gun. Mm. It wasn't until the Bren, you know, they sort of developed the hundred round drum for the Bren. So that shows they've done more research as well of, of pre war doctrine, I guess. Yeah. I love. I just liked it. It was really good. And it's a great scene. You got the that the uh, the house band waiting to <laughs> yeah. waiting to rehearse behind them, and he's like, "Won't oh, be a minute. Just just finishing this, this. Talk about this, the, this the Lewis gun here, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, on the Lewis. <laughs> really funny. Just thought it was really great. And it shows the progression later on when they get friends. I think stuff. it's yeah. I think it's really interesting. They show Niven's character as going from uh, territorial through to being a NCO. In a in an active active service territorial unit that's obviously been over to France, and then they show him obviously going to, uh, well they, they talk about him going to NCO school and then he's put on the officer training course. Uh, but Hartnell's character, um, Sergeant Fletcher, is the only regular in the platoon. They mention that specifically. Yeah. And my uh, my second uh, favorite scene when the troop ship gets torpedoed, I felt the tension of the lads. Mm. Because I assume some of them they, they might have never been like abroad before, so I felt like I felt for them because I was I was saying to I was watching it with my wife um, for 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 making notes, and I turned and I said to her I wouldn't want to be on that troop ship. That's the only part I think that would really scare me is the uncertainty. You know, you could be sunk at any moment, sort of thing. Yeah, they hear the depth charges going, don't they? Yeah, and when they get hit, they're all really panicking, trying to get out, and, and Niven calms them down. But as well from that scene it's the scale of that scene that really gets me i think it's beautifully shot yeah you know you can you feel that this troop ship is absolutely heaving with men and heaving with equipment you know and they really you know the urgency of trying to keep that magazine cool is just really well done and it also shows how far the units come you know at the start of the movie they would have left hartnell to to his fate <laughs> like yeah. caught, he caught catches his leg under a dame dingo that's that's broken free um Possibly the only film where a dingo is the villain, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just shows the progression of them and they're up to help. You know, they might have scarpered if it was early on in the film, but now it shows that the men under Niven's command will do anything for him and anything for Fletcher. So it's quite, an, it's quite a pivotal scene from a narrative point of view because it shows how far they've come. But, and I just think the scale of it is, is fantastic. And it's got um, Trevor Howard in an early role. It's his on-screen debut. Wow. That's incredible. And yeah. he later goes on to be in The Third Man, also directed by Carol Reed. So there's a nice little connect there. Oh, yeah. Can I add a little bonus one? Because well, we haven't talked about it, and it's, you know, it is firing the Vickers. And I know you had a little bit of a chat about it on, on, on Twitter. Um, but, of course, you know, it gets hot. It, mm. um, you know, it, it does exactly what it should do when it hasn't got much water in it, and it overheats and jams because everything expands too quick. Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. thankfully, Ustinov's on hand to try and um, you know, cool it down with some local plonk. Uh, you know, it's um, it's one of those that just explains a little bit more you know, to, to the general viewer that you know, these things stop. 
yeah, it has implications. It means that the six pounder can't be used properly because they're providing covering fire for it. They've got to cool down. Stanley Holloway's, you know, they, they clearly know what they're doing, um, you know, as, as individuals. Even not, he knocks it off, doesn't he, as well? Yeah, he's, he's tapping yeah. it. And you talked about that in the baton, um, yeah. Yeah, just to prove I listen. Um, yeah, you, you, uh, you talk about <laughs> um, you talk about that in in the Bataan review, the pod there about how they're knocking it, and that's the that's that's tapping, and it's something they were trained to do because you know they were trained to do a two inch tap. So basically, every time you hit the weapon, um, that was taps left and right, and that was part of the fire control orders as well. Yeah. So you know, depending on the range, obviously you knock it so f- you, you knock it and it goes you know right of arc, hundred meters, right of hundred yards mm. uh, you know it if you're a machine gunner you know what your strength of tap is so you yeah. make sure that the um the front clamp is done up properly and you know how to use it so he's he's holding those that cross piece properly he's got his fingers rested on the top he's firing it with a thumb piece and he's tapping the gun he knows how to use that vickers he opens it up he takes the lock out at one point and you you can imagine on a film nowadays an armorer would be going what no don't don't open it um <laughs> yeah. you, you'll break it or it'll break you they know what they're doing and i think it's just you know another one that perhaps typifies that the cast um are in a good place um and by this point they are proficient in using their smles you know they're yeah. proficient in using the brands um they're proficient in running across getting a six pounder and using that um albeit niven um you know the officer but he, you know, he takes a, a man with him uh, and they're proficient in using the vickers mm. They're, they're a fully well-trained infantry battalion that's come together and it peaks at the end of the film you know it, in that way it's really really good i also thought that that's the sort of that that might be the the sort of leaning on a, of the production of the of the war department being like look you have to include every bit of cool kit we've got to fight at the moment <laughs> you have to prove that the army is the modern army at this point because as well we were making propaganda pieces to send to America to show them how advanced we were because the of course the, the, the consensus in America was that our army was a bit shit. So it, also this might prop up the idea that actually the British army is just as mechanized as you lot. Yeah. Well, going, going back to the, 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 the ship sequence afterwards, Lloyd Corporal Lloyd says that was some of the best kit we've had, you know, mm. When he's talking about the carriers and the dingoes and, and various stuff that's on the ship. I can't believe how much I trash in that scene. It's so, so upsetting. And uh, <laughs> it's it's such it's such an impressive sequence though, and it's it's studio bound, but the sh- Yeah, I'd love to know how that was filmed. And I don't know if you guys I think you overlay they must have had a ship coming in, film that, film their set, and then you overlay the two pieces so it, it gives depth. I think that's how it was done. That, yeah, that, no, no. I, I sort of mean more the the, the tipping. So mm. was that done in a rolling tank or not? Oh, maybe. So actually, you know, is that Daimler rolling and the camera, or is it camera on the side and being pushed or pulled? Um, because certainly the you know I I can't I couldn't tell. No, you can see the strain on their faces though. It looks yeah. very yeah. very realistic. Like mm. they're either pulling or they're pushing. It looks like somebody you know there, there's they've got a hefty lad to wait you know to to pendle him off the uh the dingo at the other end so it doesn't fall against hartnell's leg and aren't we all thankful that he did you know only let it touch just so much he'd have been dr humble if they <laughs> he, he would yeah 
superb scene um that, like you say captures more of that kit and shows that yeah we lost it we lost it at sea mm. but we're back in north africa and we've got it it's fine mm. we've got enough industrial might all that stuff one thing i was going to ask you rich was um how long will a vickers run dry before it jams uh, I, i'll be honest it depends how long it's been um firing anyway but about a thousand rounds okay uh, yeah it depends how hot you're running it i mean mm. he's running it hot actually so i yeah would say less than about actually mm. you know he's he's not doing his standard 25 round bursts no. with you know 20 seconds between them um he's, he's sort of running about at a time and, and stuff so yeah actually again back to the accuracy that would probably start to seize up mm. that's just something that occurred to me when i was watching it the other day i thought i never I, I never filled up my jacket with water when i use blank you know i assume in that movie they didn't they didn't need to well, uh, I, I wonder if it start again, if you start to sort of double think things, um, you know, why is the Vickers left there? Yeah. Um, has it seized up? Have the guys, mm. you know, done a run up? Bad crew, they left the gun. That's an awful crew, isn't it? Yeah. If it's, if it's boiled up, it's effectively useless for a while, at least. Oh, yeah. um, Maybe they were off getting some water and they came back and they're like, where the fuck's our Vickers gone? Who's that dick? They found water water in the bar and stayed there. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, in, it's in Peter Ustinov's completely destroyed cafe. <laughs> yeah. Because what, Peter Peter Ustinov's character in in the Wayheads obviously different from his character in the new lot where he portrays a young soldier. Mm. Uh, but in in uh, in the way ahead, he's stretching the legs of his French because he he doesn't speak in English at all. So it's in, in yeah. all of his dialogues in French. Um, but you you know what he's what he's getting across mm. as the as the, the the cafe owner who's sort of a pacifist, not particularly an Anglophile, but through the love of darts and um the, the friendship of the platoon you know he comes to their aid with uh, some bottles of, of plonk as you mentioned rich when the gun seizes up but we don't see him again after that so i can only assume he was in the building when it collapsed that it cuts away from and they're not in the little oh. cellar bit in the cave i don't know i hope so yeah in the cellar i hope so it would have been with, with the random gendarme oh yeah. yeah you see the gendarme pop his head up yeah um <laughs> it's weird yeah. isn't it yeah. It's interesting. He'd have been a Vichy, uh, a Vichy, uh, he he'd have been yeah. a Vichy gendarme, wouldn't he? May have been. Mm. Yeah. Maybe Niven was just like, ignore that. We'll just ignore that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Any final thoughts, lads, before we wrap up? I know we, we talked about it before we we uh, decided to do the the episode, and you were you were perhaps thinking that it, it lags a little in in the middle. Yeah, I thought so. It is it is an almost two hour film, mm. but you know I didn't I didn't skip through any of it. No, um, which you know you can find yourself doing sometimes when you you're watching something a couple of times, and I think the film stands up really well because even though that long sort of central section is the training and there's not a great deal going on, it's those little scenes within the platoon and the human nature of them that makes it, in a, you know, it's very watchable. And that's sort of a testament to Eustonoff and um, Ambler's sort of writing on the film and, and, and Reed's direction as well. It, it, mm. sort of, it holds your attention throughout. Yeah. And then we get that great set piece on, on the, the transport ship, um, which you, you almost don't expect. You kind of, you're kind of like 
thrown into it. You've had this long middle act where it's just been character building. The platoon's been growing as a unit progression. And then you get that sort of like first test of the platoon. And it's nice to see them all come together. And then they feel like a battle-hardened soldierly unit by the time we get to that sort of final act set piece within the village and, um, you know, that climactic battle. Um, Which, obviously, that final set piece battle doesn't have anywhere near the budget behind it that the the transport ship scene has. Mm. And I think that plays into them showing sort of the metal of the unit coming together that was the more the focus of the film rather than just having an action sort of like set piece but of course at the end you do get that um grim determination where they all fix bayonets before they move off and then shows everybody so so it then shows that actually no look we're not the only platoon out here everybody else as well because you get you get people coming out of every sort of building and everything um yeah, yeah they sort of just emerge don't they and interesting enough, the ending of both the new lot and the wearhead with the men with bayonets fixed going towards the camera is um, parodied at the end of Dad's Army quite famously. Um, John Laurie being the expert. John Laurie being, yeah, uh, just a nice little tidbit there. But no, I, I agree with you, Matt. I uh, We were talking about it and I thought it lagged. I thought it dragged on. But actually, I, you know, having watched it a couple of times for this episode, I don't think it does. I actually think it, I think it really holds up for 2021 watching it again i think it as a good as a film it actually has a really good um good pacing i, I didn't get bored i was i wasn't you know i remember when I, when I was younger i didn't like the bit where they go and have the tea and then they have their bath at that lady's house i thought it dragged mm. but being older a little bit more patient yeah patient <laughs> yeah being more patient with movies i think it um didn't drag at all and i actually liked the character study of the men Mm. changing i felt that was really good and i do and i do as i said i I really think it holds up now um and some because some of those films from back then just don't unfortunately i think i think the new lot stands up quite well as well you know for what it is uh i think you know it's got a very strong cast and it's, it's more or less the same production team but that that idea is the core idea for both. So it, they both yeah. stand up well. And equally, if you're a film fan, you know, there's just so many famous people attached to this movie. You know, if yeah. you're a Doctor Who fan, you can see William Hartnell in a non-Doctor Who role. Carol Reed's wartime work, and it's just like, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's just such a, a rich tapestry of, of filmmaking. I think for, for me, just, you know, this is one of my go-to films. You know, I, I work... Yeah, up here in the collection and you know, think what can I have on the background and you know if I've run out of podcast material and up to date with fighting on film uh, then it's one of those that I can stick in the DVD player and just have on uh, and you sort of pick up stuff every time you know it is it is long uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's tedious and I think you know we're, we're now used to you know, two-hour Marvel epics and, and things like that. So I think for anybody that just still wants a 90-minute film um, that gives you a full story and a full sort of you know, background to characters and things like that, um, you know, those films don't exist. You know, the, those films are the snappy wartime films that perhaps just jump into story. This is a whole story in itself. Uh, yeah. you, you don't need to have seen the new lot 
first. You don't need to understand much about the character of the British infantia. It's it, it's really interesting to sort of try and capture that, and it takes a little bit longer to do so. So it's far from tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it, I'd say it's a great sort of go-to movie. When you think about, it, there's a lot more going on with the characters um, than you would imagine because you've got uh, is it, it's James Donald as Corporal Lloyd, yeah, who has quite a brooding, deep sort of. Um, I don't know. There's something. There's a bit of depth to the way he portrays that character. He's on the cusp of you know doubting everything that's going on. He's the one that complains to 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 Niven about the uh, the sergeant. He's certainly not my favourite you know character, and I don't know mm. whether that's his character or, or the actor or the individual. But he's certainly one of the most useful actually mm. in the film. Yeah, you know, for getting some getting some points across. And he's the chap that ends up as Lance Corporal in the end as well, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We see two sides of a, of a platoon sergeant in the film. We see you know the side that he portrays to the men where you know he's hard business like soldierly uh and isn't afraid of criticizing and getting them to you know be better soldiers but then in the mess which are nice sort of like little scenes we see him in the sergeant's mess and stuff where he's he's talking about it's a good platoon i've got a lot of sort of um uh, hopes for them they're gonna they're gonna turn into you know a decent set of soldiers and he's you know almost enthusiastic about them that's something we don't really get to see too much of, I don't think. No, and and I think you know it's there's a really inspiring piece about leadership. Actually, you know, a mm. modern a platoon commander in training at Sandhurst could, you know, or you know, subaltern could sit and watch this and think, oh, okay, there's some lessons to be learned from it. Um, yeah. Or there's some characterization of an infantry officer, uh, a platoon commander, or whatever, you know, during the Second World War and. It's almost as good as reading as you know, like 18 Platoon or, or you know, one of those memoirs mm. um, to give to give some classic, you know, small unit tactics, small unit understanding, relationships, things like that. So, yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about, um, you know, it, it's actual it's validity, it's usefulness, um, perhaps, but there may well be a space for some of that. I think so. I think there is. A... I, I I think I read somewhere that it, it was used on staff courses for a little while, you know, officer training courses as a bit of an example. Mm. Um as one of those sort of like films that they can just put on and be like, this is an example of, you know, interesting command styles, etc. Because some of those elements wouldn't have been acted. Yeah, they well, they they clearly are acted and written, but they're being written for by you know, serving soldiers mm. and they're being portrayed by serving soldiers and serving off serving officers. Yeah. Mm. yeah they they know what they would do in that position that that situation um but thank you very much rich for mm. coming on i think you've been a no problem great pick rich thank you it was over that or get cracking with george formby and okay so we're going to cover get cracking when you come back okay any vickers guns in that one yeah i don't think i've seen it so i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna go watch that now. there we go well there we go for a few weeks time perhaps yeah don't forget everybody to give us a like a subscription a comment on whatever you're listening to keep leaving those written reviews on apple pods because we love them and we'll catch you in the next one bye everybody bye bye cheerio Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.